Welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts, Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode, and we'll hope to see you on the trails soon. Welcome, everybody. This is Greg Larkin, one of the co-hosts of the Mile 99 interview series. And we're here again on part four of our mini-series within our podcast. It's called Rebecca Redlines Cancer. And we've been talking to Rebecca Sperry. She's a hiker from New Hampshire. Um, we've now been talking to her for a couple of months about what she'd been doing over the um, the summer of 2020 on a New Hampshire Trail Redline project, walking and hiking all of the trails in the White Mountain National Forest when she was diagnosed with breast cancer in August of 2020 and had to sort of take a temporary pause on that project. We've been getting to know her over a number of episodes now, um, getting information about you know, her journey with cancer, finding out more about you know her hiking projects, things that she's been doing in the past, how she got into hiking. And also recently learning about, you know, other people in her life that have been supporting her during her cancer journey. And in this episode, uh, we wanted to just kind of really focus more on the hiking aspect of things. You know, we, we've heard a little bit about her history, but we want to find out more about some of the things that she uses for hiking, different technology, some of her, you know, her mindset, how she plans things, and just a variety of different topics. So welcome to the show, uh, Rebecca. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, we're really pleased uh, that you've been joining us every couple of weeks, and we've been releasing our episodes on Sundays, uh, so I think it's been working out really well. Hopefully, we're, we're getting some good information out there, and, and people are finding it useful, whether they're facing a chronic illness, whether it's cancer or something else, or just some you know interest in hiking or a combination of the two, so it's, I think, been really great. I'm also joined by my co-hosts, uh, Mike Turner and Jessica Harris, and we'll be hearing from, from them as we go. So uh, just to kind of get into the episode as we as we often do, uh, I just wanted to get a little bit of an update of you know where you're at with your treatment plan, how things have been going, how you've been feeling, and all of that. So I just had my 11th round of chemo yesterday, which means I have one left, and pretty excited about that because it's like, oh my gosh, I'm almost done. Um, although I'm not technically because there are you know I'm technically considered halfway through treatment for my chemotherapy regimen, but I won't be receiving the more aggressive of the two drugs anymore after next week. So I'm really excited. My blood counts will start to go back up and it's going to take about four months to get back to normal blood counts, but I'm so excited to finally be almost done. Um, it almost doesn't even feel real yet, <laughs> but yeah, I'm very excited to have hair again and <laughs> to have normal blood counts and strength and be able to just be a normal, more normal person. I have radiation starting on January 20th, and then that'll be about a month. And then once I'm through that, I am anticipating that it's going to be a piece of cake until next October when I'm done getting the Herceptin drug that I will, I'll be receiving. But yeah, I'm really, really excited to be almost done. I feel okay right now because I'm currently you know, on steroids from the treatment. And last round wasn't really a, that terrible, actually. Um, I didn't have the worst side effects ever. I'm hoping this one's not as bad. I get an extra day this round before I get chemo again, because I got it early again because of the holiday. But I have noticed a significant difference in how weak I am when it comes to cardio, especially. So I would say the last two hikes have been the hardest I've had since starting chemo where I really have to really slow down and let my body kind of adjust to the fact that I don't have the capacity to be going as fast as my legs want to go. So we're like, I'm really having to relearn how to pace myself. And that's something that's really difficult when your legs are strong, but your lungs aren't because you have to force your, your legs to stop going the speed that they normally would go because your lungs can't keep up. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an adjustment and I'm I'm only doing one hike a week now because I really am pretty weak. I am definitely pretty anemic, so it's hard to have the energy just to do anything, especially on the bad days, but I still am very committed to doing the five days a week of exercise and one hike a week, so I have been consistently doing that and with one more, um, well, two more weeks of pushing through, I think I'll be I don't see why I wouldn't be able to finish doing this, but yeah, I'm, 
definitely just learning to readjust my expectations for myself and not be hard on myself if it's if I'm struggling on an, on a climb of a mountain because it's it's not me it's my blood counts that are so low exactly yeah I mean it, it's a temporary thing which is at least you you've got that kind of view towards the finish line of that part of it um, and as you said like over the next four months like that'll start gradually building back up so I, I know that um, and if you don't mind me just delving in a little bit here. I mean, I know that I saw your Instagram story this week and it was a really tough week for you and you were, you know, you were pretty down, let's be honest. And, and, but with that low point, I mean, as you just said, like you're going to come out of it and you're going to restore and, and every week I'm sure you'll see some improvement. It sounds like as, you know, as these drugs kind of like get out of your system and your body starts recovering and getting back to its normal balanced self. Yeah, I definitely had a rough couple of days over the weekend. I was like, I just need to take a break from social media for a few days and just lay here and just be not present in the world, sort of like people. And it's tough to be in the position that I'm in because it really is kind of like, it certainly isn't a choice that I made, an active choice. And I definitely love seeing everyone's hiking pics. I think that is so motivating, but sometimes it's hard to know if I'm being more... I want to say annoying than anything to people to be constantly a broken record about cancer because I don't want to be that on social media. And I don't know how much of that, how much that might be annoying people like, okay, yeah, we know you got cancer. It sucks, but it's really hard for me because I also can't turn off the fact that I have it and not stop thinking about it. That's literally like my mind is so in that right now. Mm -hmm. So I needed to take a few days to just be off social media and just be in my own little world, I guess. You know, it's funny. I, I know what you mean about, cause obviously Greg and I do the same activities all summer. It's, oh, we're in the Canyon. Oh, we're in the Canyon. Oh, we're in the Canyon. And it's like, okay, we get it. You're in the Canyon, but there are people that, that aren't on all the time that see that, that are inspired. You, you know, there are people that, that see it every day, but there's people that are new to your thread, to our thread, and they see these activities and they are inspired. So, yeah, there may be people that are like, okay, I've seen that. But there's also people that are that are just getting on, that are just getting cancer, that are just getting involved, that are just getting there. And so ultimately you have to, I think, sharing your, your, your world has more value than not. Even on the days you don't feel like it, there's someone out there that that is inspired. That you know, And just sharing hiking pics, I don't care what. I want to see hiking pictures. I want to see the snow. And, you know, I like how Instagram changes from summer to winter. And now it's all these snow pictures and all these snow mountains and in different states that I've never been in. And, and I'm like, God, I'd hate to live there, you know, and I'd say keep going. If people don't like it, they can turn it off. Yeah. One thing that actually kind of was a super motivating factor for me and um, I get messages all the time about, oh, you're such an inspiration and you're motivating me. And I love that. Like that's, awesome. And I do always respond to every message. There was one woman in particular that messaged me after I posted those stories on Instagram about how I had a rough weekend. Her daughter actually is going through cancer treatment and she's got a different type of cancer, but she's going through the same journey as me essentially. And the mom showed the daughter, my stories and they watched them together. And then the mom messaged me and said how her daughter loved them and can completely relate to everything I had been saying. And it made her feel really good to know that she's not the only person feeling the things that I'm or the feelings that she's feeling. So those are the messages that make me continue doing it kind of, it's like, well, if it's for nobody else, it's for that girl who's 19 and going through this, like she can watch my stories and know that she's not the only person. And if everybody else is annoyed, oh, well, but I'm going to keep doing it because there's people out there like her that need some, they need that. They need to hear those messages. So yeah. That was like such an uplifting thing to hear and it made me feel so good. So yeah, that, that's true. It's just there are people out there that that it has a lot of value. So I mean, I just I mean, I we have to never think that if someone's bored, they can just tune out. I mean, but there are people that are new to this that are getting in that it's it's worth it's worth you know the effort. And also just hiking these peaks that you do if without cancer involved, getting comfortable being out in the woods, being out by yourself for many hours, being out by yourself. Those are big goals in life. Aside from cancer, those are also just big goals. Being a young woman or a young, a young person being out in the woods, that's sometimes 
you know, it can be intimidating. So just, there's a lot of angles to this that are inspiring. Thanks. Yeah, I think, I think so. And, you know, but also to your point, I mean, sometimes you do need a break. We all need a break from social media because it's just this flood, you know, every time you see a like or a comment or a response or a reaction or anything, it's just, it's, it's exciting. You know, I think we all get excited about it. Uh, I know I, I spend a lot of time on our stats page on our podcast, for instance, <laughs> you know, like how many people downloaded whatever episode and it's, it's like a, it feels good. Right. Like, but after a while, sometimes like, Hey, I just need to tune out, go out for my hike, my run, my whatever, you know, just get away from it for a little while. Um, so yeah, I can definitely appreciate both sides of what you're saying there. And, uh, okay. No one can see it right now, but I'm going to mention it. We have a little uh, appearance by Rebecca's cat squeaker (laughs) and she's super (laughs) cute. So hopefully maybe we can post a picture or something like that. That'd be great. (laughs) So yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's all, it's all valid, you know, and it's, it's great. You've been doing throughout this whole thing. I mean, you've been out there, you've been pushing yourself to stay uh, fit, you know, get your workouts in, get out on the trails, do all those things, you know, and I think, I, I think I either saw one of your Instagram stories or a post that was sort of talking about, I, you just wanted to prove it to yourself that throughout treatment, you can still do these things. And I think that's an excellent goal to set, you know, um, it's a way to kind of get through the process and um, kind of stay balanced, it sounds like. And so one of the things that we wanted to kind of dig into tonight was, you know, talking more about the mechanics of, of all that stuff. You know, um, I'm not, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not thinking there's like been huge changes pre-diagnosis, post-diagnosis with some of the things that you do and use during hikes, like, you know, technology wise. Uh, But you can certainly, you know, fill us in on all that as we go. And so we wanted to talk about different technologies, um, you know, anything from watches to food technology, nutrition wise, um, boots, socks, all that good stuff. So I don't know, I guess I'll just kind of like open it up. And maybe the first thing we can talk about is kind of like how you determine where you're going, what types of research you're doing, whether it's online, paper maps, those kinds of things, and maybe start there and then we can dive in further. Sure. Um, Do you want me to talk about pre- like my planning pre-cancer sort of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think if there are differences in like the pre-cancer versus post-cancer, I think that'll be interesting to start with for sure. So, well, with redlining, I mean, all of it's planned. It has to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but if you want to make it be um, the most efficient, uh, you need to be planning ahead. Um, And I mean, I'm talking like, I've been working on spreadsheets and planning hikes for a year. Um, so it's, it's a nonstop, you have to be kind of re re adjusting your plans, looking at the guidebook again to make sure you're not missing anything. It's a very meticulous thing to take on. Um, and you have to be very meticulous about planning it. Wow. Okay. This is kind of, if it's, let me do it from two perspectives. One would be me planning a hike just for fun, I guess, unrelated to redlining. So Prior to starting redlining, I have particular mountains that I like or particular hikes that I like to do. So I would typically, you know, I would go on a lot of the same hikes, which I think is what a lot of people do because it feels familiar and you're comfortable with it. And you don't have to worry about where do I park and do I know what the trail is going to look like when I'm on the trail and just all of the logistical things that can be kind of making, kind of makes you a little nervous. So for example, if it's, if I was planning a hike out that I know the trail and it's just a familiar hike, I still do the same thing, which is kind of probably silly at this point. Cause I don't even need the map, <laughs> but I still am very old school. So I carry a paper map. I carry a Garmin. I actually just got the Garmin mini for GPS. I have the Explorer currently set up. That's what I'm still using. It's a uh, satellite phone, as well as a GPS tracker. And I only use that for one purpose. And that is to track me. So my spouse and my mom can see where I'm at on trail because it drops breadcrumbs. That's literally, and then also you can text through it even when there's no cell service. So I use it for those two reasons only. And it has a lot of other features. I just don't use any of them because for me, it's always been paper maps. I just don't feel like bringing technology and learning how to read technology into the backcountry. It's like the one place I don't have to be 
on a computer or on a phone. And I am pretty much dead set against ever having that be what I'm doing, I guess. So I would, on a typical hike, let's say, just take a picture of the map, send it to my spouse, and I outline the trail that I'm doing on, actually on Instagram stories. I just take the little pen thing, outline the trail, save the picture, and send it to him as well so he knows the route I'm doing. And then I check the weather. If it's the winter, especially, or shoulder seasons, I don't check the weather as much in summer because it's not as applicable. I check the weather on, I think it's called Mountain Forecast. It's a website that does higher elevations. And I think they give a more accurate picture than even like the Mount Washington Observatory. Uh, I feel like they're kind of, um, they tend to have more escalated or uh, what they say for forecasts, I feel aren't quite as accurate. So I use Mountain Forecast and um Then I tell my husband um, which hike I'm doing, send him the map pictures, and then I go hike. I do the hike. Um, And I'm familiar with the trail, so I don't usually even look at my map, but I have it in case I need it. And um, usually I check in with my spouse at least once on a hike just to give him an an idea that I'm not dead (laughs) because he can't um, always access my GPS file or my GPS route if he's at work, he doesn't have the best service oftentimes. And then I message him when I get back to my car saying I'm done and then that's it. But yeah, I'm very, uh, very old school about maps. I use maps. Yeah. There's, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. You're mentioning just go over quickly again. You, so you have the Garmin mini, which I have one of those and I use, and I have a spot gen three as well, the Garmin mini, and you have another Garmin that you communicate with or is Garmin Mini your main satellite communicator? So I have the Garmin Mini that I just got for Christmas and I haven't set it up yet, but that's what I will start using once I set it up. I currently use and have used for at least two years now the Garmin Explorer satellite phone. It's a bigger phone. So why would you go to the the Mini? Is it? Because I don't use it. The Mini is smaller, so it saves weight, which I'm kind of a little bit of a a weight person. I I'm kind of a, I, I ounce count and stuff. I mean, yeah. So I'm got the mini for the whole saving weight. I also don't use probably 90% of the features on the other one and it's large and bulky and it has a big screen. And I just don't particularly like the size of it. And the fact that it has all these features that I don't use, and I'm pretty sure the mini doesn't have as many of the features. So I'm basically just saving weight by getting the smaller one and also, hopefully, I'm not having a million features that I'm not using on the mini. Yeah, yeah. The, the big one is a little bulky. And I I have the Garmin Mini that I, I bought for my daughter some years ago when she was doing the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's it's nice because it's tiny and it's just big enough and it has messages that are standard. You can say, I'm at camp. And just so that's pretty nice and it's easy to, to use. And then I have the spot, which is, doesn't have the texting but it, but some of the bigger spots do in fact we have a gear review on the spot versus on the spot versus the garmin but uh and the paper maps it's always important i'm a geologist so i love maps too but i always bring a map because you never know you know what's going to happen you fall in the water your batteries go dead always have a map if somebody finds you they find you with a map at least they know where you it's just smart yeah I and agree. the whole the phone dying piece is another thing because I I don't break out the map because I have a picture of it on my phone. But like you said, if your phone dies or you have some sort of an issue with your technology, what are you going to do? Um, and it's honestly, it's one of the 10 essentials. And I don't, in New Hampshire, we have like very specific expectations. If you actually had to get rescued that you kind of have to be considered not negligent. And one of the reasons that you could be charged and be considered negligent is not carrying the 10 essentials. MAP is a 10 essential. So I always carry it and um, I may not break it out, but it's weighs nothing. And there's no reason why I shouldn't carry it. And I'm an ounce junkie. So even for me to carry, it says, in my opinion, like there's no excuse to not carry a map. If, even if you're trying to save like on ounces or grams. Yeah. And if you get in a pinch, you could start a fire. Yes. Yep. There you go. I <laughs> have a keep in a Ziploc bag. And uh, so do you, this summer I started using a, 
one of those phone apps that you can use offline. It's called Gaia in conjunction with my watch. And man, I have just fallen in love with that. Have you tried? And there's a couple other, couple other brands of those apps. I know that, uh, that we've used out here. Do you use that? Cause it's, it's been pretty, pretty fun to see the different layers. You can look at private property and fire burn areas and other features. Have you tried that? I haven't. I am very adamantly dead set against any apps that are map based because I don't want to ever have to be relying on that to navigate in the back country. I think I will use that if I'm here at my house to like check out an area, but I'm not going to go into the woods and look at a map or look at a device, look at a GPS on like Gaia or gut hook is another one that's really popular. And especially up here, we have like the white mountains are on, on gut hook. I don't ever want to have to rely on technology to navigate. And I think if it's almost a slippery slope where you can become extremely reliant on these things. So I refuse to allow that to happen. And I will say the only time I've used gut hook is in the Northern presidentials this past summer when I was redlining, because if you've ever looked at the maps of the Northern president presidential, it is an absolute nightmare. And the only way that you can navigate that area, in my opinion, is to use an app because you don't even know which trail you're on a lot of the times if you want to redline it. So I used it for that one purpose and when I needed to only, and it was extremely helpful. And I can absolutely see why people become so reliant on it because you don't even have to use your brain. You just look down at your phone and you see yourself on a trail, you know exactly where you are. You're talking about like the north slopes of like Mount Adams and, and all that. Yeah. So yeah, the part like, that's like off of Appalachia Trailhead. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's an absolute spaghetti mess. It's amazing how many are up in there. <laughs> I've not been out there, Greg. Have you hiked up in there? I have not a ton like back in the day, but I mean, I've, I've been up Mount Adams and some of those trails. I never got up like King Ravine or anything, but that's on the list for when, <laughs> whenever I get back to New Hampshire for sure. But yeah, like just... I think I may even have my, uh, oh, there, Hey, I just got Mike, the not without peril book. I don't know if people know that, but that book, I'll have to put a link to the show notes in that one for that one. But I think it probably talks about some people who got on trails up there and didn't realize where they were. (laughs) Yeah. It's really bad. It's, I was honestly, I've asked even in our community up here, why would they do this? Because it's an absolute nightmare. And what the answer was that I got from someone that I'm pretty sure is the actual reason is they wanted to put a trail to every waterfall. And there's quite a lot of those. So, I mean, that's just among all the trails that lead to the actual summits. So, yeah, it's like if you took a bunch of spaghetti and threw it down on a plate, that's what the Northern Presidential Trail System looks like. So to navigate that without an app, I... That would be really hard. And I know people do it, but like, my goodness, there are some things that even I'm not willing to put myself through. <laughs> yeah. I used to, I mean, I think that the app, especially like gut hooks, you know, if you're on like the PCT or the continental divide trail and you don't have time to plan out every day or use, you can, you, you know, where the water sources are and it tells you where the campsites are. It has a place for, I think for a long journey, maybe wise, but for, a couple of days here and there, probably not as necessary, you know, to use, I guess. I agree. I think if I was doing a long trail, I'd probably use it because like you said, the water sources, and I know people post water reports and they um, post comments about different hostels or different shuttle services. So I definitely think for a long trail, it's a great tool. Um, I just hate the fact that it has sort of crept into every aspect of hiking because it making it's it's making it so easily accessible that you have people that maybe shouldn't necessarily be out there doing things because they're having this false sense of confidence because of an app. And a lot of these trails are becoming overused because it's so easy now. You just get gut hook. You don't have to do really a lot of like the pre-work. And I just, uh, I don't know. I'm really old school in my perspective, I think. No, that's I, that's sort of how I came through hiking as well. When I lived in New England, you know, I, you you what you did is you just you bought the guidebook and you had all the maps and you read all the descriptions and you looked at the at the hiking times and tried to figure out based on your fitness level how that mapped to your your speed and all that. 
and and it was exciting for me anyway just to read descriptions and think about like oh this this trail sounds amazing based on what i read in the guidebook and that's that was like the source of all your information for so long so um yeah i i can definitely identify with uh you know with how you feel about that too I think Mike has another question here because he just got a new watch and uh, we've been talking about watches a lot over the last few weeks. Oh, I know. And I, I had a Phoenix three for four years and, and that was, Matt was my, my baby for a long time. And the battery started, you know, it's just, you know, they get old, you know, and I looked into battery replacements and I couldn't find any valuable, anything, anything that had good reviews as far as replacing the battery. So I went and did a bunch of reviews. We did a gear podcast on, on comparing Garmin and Coros. And I ended up, uh, get in a new, a new chorus, but you got a new Phoenix or new watch as well, right? For Christmas. Yeah, I got, so I've also had the, the Garmin three HR for probably about three and a half, four years as well. I love that watch. I still love that watch. It has a bajillion bells and whistles that I turned off and was basically using it for tracking my GP, like my GPS track while in the woods and to uh, kind of see, you know, like how much elevation gain I was doing and how much miles I was doing. Those were probably the number three. Those are the three things I use that for. Um, and also, heaven forbid, I was ever like, okay, I don't know where I am or how far do I have to get back to my car? Sometimes I would get anxious about wanting to know those things. So the nice thing about the Garmin is it has like a GPS screen on there, but all it really showed was just a gray screen with a black line, which is your GPS track. I don't know if there's ways to upload maps or probably is, but I only used that screen. And um, I got the new Garmin 6, so an upgraded version, and it's awesome. I love it. And I have used it now a few times just for at my house, like exercising, and I did use it on the trail this week. The only thing that I'm kind of a little hesitant about is the map itself that this one has. It has all the trails and it has like a very clear picture of where you are on a GPS map. And I'm concerned that it's going to be something that I rely on too much to kind of um, know where I'm at in the woods. Because what I liked about the other one is the simplicity of the map was just a gray screen with a black line and I had to figure it all out on my own. And I don't want to rely on a map that's very easy to read. And so, yeah, I love the watch, but I'm a little worried about that. I'm probably going to not let myself look at that map unless I absolutely have to. I think the Phoenix 5 was the first one that had the ability to upload a base map. Uh, and then I think it was, I don't know how great it was. I, I didn't have a five, but the six is supposed to be better at, at that. And I, I agree with you. The feature I love the most is it would tell me if I, have I been here before and I could look like, like, you know, it tells you where you were, how far you are from the car and it has a little scale. So you can say, okay, I'm, I'm only, you know, a mile left to go. So that, it was nice to know those features. I think the screen is so small too, that, I don't think you're going to get addicted to it because it's pretty tiny. Even for, I mean, I mean, you know, it's an inch and an inch, inch across, inch and a quarter across, but still it's, it's on there for emergencies to see where you, where you started and where you were and where drainage may be, or where, you know, how close you are to some, some ridge line that you may be looking for. So I'm sure it has a valuable, you can compare it to your map to see overlay the two and say, okay, well, like years ago I had a Garmin Etrex legend old school GPS and I had the map base and I could use it and look at my map and say, okay, then I could see the big picture where I was. And so it was nice to be able to, to verify where I was if I didn't, if I, if I couldn't triangulate very well. So it's definitely, it's, it, it'll be useful at some point. Yeah. I'm definitely just going to try really hard to not look at it unless I have to, I think now, because I know it's a lot more inclusive of all of the different trails in my area and, stuff like that. So, but I do like it. It's, it's a nice wash. It's a girl version too, which I had the other one before, which was a lot bulkier. And I mean, this is a much smaller watch and it has all these features that I automatically go through and turn off like the music and the text messages and everything. I just strip it down to the bare minimum um, because I don't like to have a lot of stuff on a watch. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty old school. I think about technology. 
I'll relate a quick story about that with my watch, which was, um, I think it was the Castle Peak 100K I did a couple of years ago and Mike paced me at the end and uh, it connected to my phone and I didn't really plan very well as Mike often knows that I don't <laughs> before the race. And I'm out there in the middle of the race and I get text messages on my phone, which I had not set to do not disturb. And then they come to my watch and I see something about a credit report, like showing up on my watch while I'm in a race. <laughs> that's that's like my, your mind on. my mind is starting to spin out of control. Like what's happening with my credit report? So word to the wise, airplane mode, do not disturb, turn off text messaging to your watch, et cetera, et cetera. In the end, it was a fine. It wasn't a problem. It was just some weird notification. <laughs> but it just messes with your head. So I think uh, stripping down the technology is always a good idea when you're out in the backcountry because uh, you're out there for, you know, the enjoyment, the silence, silencing your mind, silencing, you know, your uh, things around you, all the, all the different things that we get hit with all the time in our society. So it's just, yeah, I, I like where your head is at for that, for sure. So we also want to talk about uh, some other things that you do and use uh, when you're out there. You know, we've talked about a little bit about planning, I think, in the past, like um, various spreadsheets, obviously the map resources, uh, those types of things. Do you want to quickly just talk about like your your theory behind spreadsheets and how you kind of come up with those? Uh, sure. Those so. So for like, I had talked about a little bit earlier, the planning of a day hike. So if I already know the trail, it's simple. I just have the map and I know where I'm going. I mean, I use, I don't use the map because I know where I'm going, but I have it. And so on hikes where I'm unfamiliar and it's a new hike. So I would look at the map first because that's, I mean, maps are basically everything. I don't really know how else you plan a hike. So looking at the map to see what the trails are that I want to do and then kind of figuring out what kind of a route I want to do. And it's always going to be based on mileage and elevation gain. I know my body and I know what I'm capable of. So I know, you know, what's an expectation that's realistic and what isn't. And then um, usually if it's a trail that I think it's going to be a non-issue where it's not going to have a lot of strange things happening. And I can tell just by looking at the map, I won't always necessarily read a guidebook description. And a lot of the trails don't have them either for like some of the areas that I hike. They're not necessarily in a guidebook. So you almost have to kind of be like, well, I guess I'll see what happens when I get out there. But thankfully, if you are able to look at a map and kind of decipher things based on what you're seeing, like the topographical features, you're usually okay, uh, or I'm usually okay. Maps are number one. You look at those, figure out your route based on how many miles you want to do. And then, you know, what does the terrain itself look like in the elevation profile? And then if I have a guidebook description, I'll read that. If I feel like it's necessary, checking the weather is important for especially so shoulder season and winter. Um, but in the summertime, I don't always look at the shoulder season. So what I carry in my bag changes depending on the season of it too. But for redlining, that's like a whole nother story because you have to plan ahead a lot. So I have spreadsheets that, okay, the White Mountain or some man, I'm not sure who he is. There's a website where you go on to like access the redlining page. And uh, he, some gentleman out there created these 12 spreadsheets that all have all of the math and everything that says how many, how much percent do you have done? And uh, what are all the trails that you need to do to redline? But here's the thing, there's a a, fee, a, ca a caveat that says this is not a list of all the trails. It's meant to be a, a guide and a tool, but not an um, all-inclusive list. The guidebook is the all-inclusive list. So for redlining, there's a lot more that goes into the planning because you have an entire book. You have to hike every trail in it. Um, so I have the spreadsheets that he developed. Basically what I did is I took those and I made my own versions that don't have all of the mathematical features. It's just basically spreadsheets broke where I break all of the hikes, all of the trails into day hikes. That's what I have used to create my plan for redlining along with the maps. And I went through and I highlighted all the routes on maps of every map and every trail in the whites. So uh, the binder is about two and a half inches thick for the White Mountain Guidebook. And I'm in the process of finishing working on the Southern New Hampshire Guidebook now, which is a lot smaller, but um, it's a, it's kind of a new challenge because this doesn't even have a spreadsheets that exist. So having to do that from, from scratch, 
create my own spreadsheets. It's kind of nice because it's my own, but at the same time, it's like a lot more work. That's cool. And like in the hiking community, is that then something that you would eventually share with other people if they wanted to use those things? Or what's the kind of uh, ethos, I guess, behind, you know, creating your own things? Is Do people share that stuff freely? Well, to be honest, um, that's something that's kind of a a hot topic of debate. I'm not sure if it's the same in other parts of the country, but in New England, we're very, I don't know how I want to put this. There's a lot of drama and there's a lot of perspectives about how things should be done. And redlining and the grid are kind of these two sacred things that you don't mess with. You want to upset a lot of people. So when it comes to my spreadsheets that I've created, I won't share them with people because I don't think that that's appropriate because it would make it very easy for someone to just go out there and not use their brain and redline the whites. Um, Because I've essentially planned out 207 hikes. So I don't really feel that that would be appropriate. I've posted them on social media because I don't mind doing it that way because it's kind of like you can't almost even read it because it's so small. Um, And it's not it's not enough information for people to, to really like be able to steal it and use it, but I'm happy to help anybody who asks me about, okay, well, you know, what is it that you did to plan this or um, help me plan out a route? Like I have people all the time asking me about route planning and that is totally, I think appropriate. I just don't think that it's appropriate to take that spreadsheet and publish it or take uh, the maps that I've created the routes on and publish them because that would make it extremely easy for anybody to just do redlining and not even use their brain to plan it at all. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you, you know, just um, you want people to kind of be thoughtful about the process. And and to your point earlier, there's a lot of issues. And I've kind of kept up with this even after moving out to California about, you know, rescues. And mm-hmm. there's like, what is it? Like a hiker pass card or something like that. Hiker card. Yeah. And maybe you can just touch on that really quickly um, because there are a lot of people and we have that out here too. I mean, I think it's everywhere, but you know, people will go out and there actually, there were multiple rescues out here, mostly due to heat over the summer on trails that a local news station publicized and say, Hey, this is a great trail that everyone should go try. Well, it's a seven and a half mile round trip with like almost 2000 vertical feet of climbing into an extremely hot river Canyon. So people Mm -hmm. would just go out, they wouldn't realize what they're getting into. Oh, it's really easy because I'm starting downhill. <laughs> I didn't bring enough water and now I'm out of water and heat exhausted on the way back. And now we have a rescue situation. I mean, that happened like multiple times in one week after this news story. So to your point, um, yeah. So what's the hike safe card all about? So the hike safe card you can get, it's $25. You buy it It's once, once a year, you renew it. Um, and it's basically a purchase that you make that I believe that the money goes to like help fund um, rescues and stuff. It's not just cool. Or maybe it goes into like the, um, it goes into our funds somehow for the state, but basically it has a list of the 10 essentials that you should be carrying on every hike. And then you don't even have to carry the paper card in your wallet or anything. You just have to make that purchase. And the other thing that you can do is you can buy a fishing license through New Hampshire, I think, or a hunting license. And those also count towards that. So it's basically your way of saying that you're um, you're willing to make that purchase and by doing so and by carrying the 10 essentials and not being negligent and not making bad choices, if you did have to be rescued, you won't be charged. So we have a lot of rescues up here as well and um, people will be charged if they have to be rescued and it's because they're ne- negligent. Um, it happens. It's happened several times. I don't think it's constant, but it's happened enough that this is kind of a thing that we, and we kind of really encourage people who are hiking in the whites, you know, carry, you should carry the 10 essentials and you should be carrying a backpack and you should have what you need for food and water and everything. And then this card is kind of like an added bonus thing that you, you can have to kind of be like an insurance policy almost. Yeah, and we'll, we'll certainly include, uh, I think, links to the 10 essentials uh, in the show notes here and uh, some more information about some of these things. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, you're out there and, and as, you, as you do, you're solo. And if something happens, like you have yourself to rely on, 
if you need help, it's still going to be hours at minimum till somebody's able to get out there because of the terrain and they have to like logistically organize things. And so it's not like, even if you have a cell phone, you call 911, it's not like help is going to show up in minutes. I mean, this is hours. Um, and there's many stories about people having to bunk in for a night even maybe, and maybe there's like a storm, the rescue team can't get out there until the next day. So yeah, super important information. So appreciate you uh, addressing that. So moving into kind of like more specifics about what you use out in the field. Um, one of the things that, you know, we always are interested in as ultra runners is nutrition because everybody has their own favorite nutrition, what works for them, what doesn't, it's the hot new product. What are some of the, you know, Hey, I just still eat bananas and bring water in a, you know, in a jug, like that's my thing. <laughs> and, but now there's all these engineered foods and all kinds of things. So uh, what is, I know you've alluded to hiker food in the past. So we're interested to find out like what works for you when you're, when you're out there and maybe like, what's your normal diet and then how does it change when you're out there? Yeah. So um, working as an educator for nine years, you tend to learn how to live off of food that can be ate while walking or by like stuff that you can eat when you're not like having to like sit down at a desk and actually have a meal. So I will say that I have a terrible habit of eating kind of that hiker lifestyle food, even off trail, just because in my career, I've had to learn how to do that as well. But for if I'm being smart about it and not eating like a hiker, um, I try to eat a lot of vegetables and fruit and just salads are huge. I love salads. I'm terrible about getting in enough protein. So I have, I need to work more on that. And actually since starting, um, when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, I had to get more protein in after the surgery. So I started drinking these ensure protein drinks that only have like 180 calories and I like them. So I think I'll probably try to continue doing that even after, you know, when I'm working more into the hiking and stuff as in the next upcoming months, hopefully. So I try to be healthy off trail, but it's really hard when you're working full time and you don't have an opportunity to sit at a desk. So I tend to rely on a lot of granola bars or I'll eat yogurt sometimes, things like that. But uh, when I am on trail, it's all about getting in calories and about eating things you can eat while you're moving. So I, I burnt myself out on every type of bar there is at this point, but I still eat various types of like cliff bars or uh, granola bars or anything like that, that I find. And I can pal, I can palate, palate it, I guess. Um, because honestly, I'm so done with all bars at this point. I like cheese. It's a lot too. Uh, I tend to switch it up a bit because I get burnt out easily by eating the same food every single day. When I was hiking all summer, it was like every day I'm eating the same food. So you do burn out quick on things, but things that I actually started eating a lot more this past summer were things like just chips and stuff like that. Things that I've never used to like, I started craving salty things a lot more. So I liked dill pickle chips. Those are really good. Salt, uh, salt and vinegar chips. Um, cheese hits are huge. I like those things as well, but then I also, I'm very much a sweet person. So I eat a lot of gummies. And one I actually love, and I think it's, a, I don't know what's in this, that it makes it actually makes me feel like I have energy from eating it is the cliff blocks. And then the scratch labs, I used to eat the gummies, but I burned out on those. I've basically burned out on every gummy there is the honey stingers. I mean, all of them. <laughs> so the cliff blocks are my new thing that I can tolerate pepperoni sticks. I try to get the organic ones. So that way I'm not eating complete garbage. Like I try not to eat Slim Jims, because I don't feel like there's any nutritional value in those. And I love eating applesauce packets that you squeeze packets. Those are awesome. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of crossover, Mike, to, to ultra racing, uh, at least from what I'm hearing. It seems pretty forgiving, like running, hiking and running. You can be, you can just, you can eat kind of anything you want. And the trick is when you're not running in the off season to cut out all that stuff that you are, are addicted to, you know, sugars and stuff. But, uh, yeah, a lot of folks here and running, they either eat all the gels and the blocks and stuff, or they, I've been trying to go real food in the last couple of years and get out of gels. And, but what ends up happening, you get tired of food, you get tired of cliff bars, you get tired of this. And then you're like, then you end up with nothing. And then you're like, oh, I'll go out with nothing. And then you suffer and you're like, I, I, that doesn't work either. So <laughs> 
constant trying to find something new to, to rotate. Yeah, especially with a redlining project where, I mean, you're out there constantly. So like day after day after, I mean, it'd be different if you were just, eh, I'm going to go for a day hike every week or two. Like that's, you have plenty of time for your brain to recharge and get excited about eating a cliff bar again. But like to your point, if you're doing it day after day after day, there's only so many times. And I mean, I personally have the same issue. I'm in a race. I start getting apathetic about food and you know, I'm looking at the mileage, like, hey, I've only got 10 miles to go. I'm just not going to eat anything for the last next two hours. Like, no, the wheels are going to come off. Like we know that's going to happen. So, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's a challenge. Um, and it's probably a challenge for the food manufacturers that make these foods. It's like, how do you keep people interested and excited to, to eat them? Um, at least these days, there's so many options. Hopefully like you can rotate through them and it takes long enough to rotate that your palate comes back afterwards. So. Yeah. I, um, I, I would pack my bags for redlining. I pack, pack a Ziploc bag, like a gallon size Ziploc bag full of food. And I have the same things usually I put in them because I got to the point where I needed to have a routine to be doing this every day. So I was very consistent about these items go in my bag every time I have certain things I put in my, my pocket on my hip to access right, you know, towards the beginning of the hike, um, certain things that are in the actual gallon size Ziploc bag. And, um, I would oftentimes pack the same things in the five, I do like five at a time. So five hikes worth of food, but yeah, you get to the point where you don't even eat for pleasure. You eat for calories and you don't even care about, you have to learn how to eat no matter what, even when you don't want to eat it because you need the calories. And it's a very strange thing in the through hiking community. I definitely think this happens. You become so frustrated with the fact that no matter how much you eat, you can't be full and you don't even really enjoy eating anymore because you're just like, constantly hungry and it's more about getting in the calories than about enjoying the food. So I think I got to that point for sure after doing several weeks worth of this, but then, um, I don't know, you almost learn how to turn off that part of your brain where you have to care about that. You just eat because you need to eat. I think, I think it's a lot the same with ultra running where you almost like learn how to stop being so upset or bothered by silly things like you know how you feel and you just focus on what needs to be done yeah totally true i mean you just have to take that kind of i don't know emotional part out of it as much as you can um because that's when all the the dark stuff starts creeping in you know and it's like i got a job to do i know i need to get as at least 400 500 calories in per hour and it comes down to mathematics and and to your point like okay and i think you've talked about in the past like calorie density versus weight and all these things. And it just becomes like math. And it's like, if I want to finish this thing that I'm doing, whether it's, you know, a day hike, a multi-day backpack or an ultra race or whatever it is, like, I just got to do this. No questions asked. And there's no room for dissent in my brain. Like I just have to do this. That's something I personally need to work on. Cause I told you, like I get apathetic and I just start not wanting to eat and my crew members and pacers get mad at me. So <laughs> you just gotta, and that's what a lot of them are there for is to keep your brain on track and keep it going. Uh, just quickly before we move into like some actual physical gear. Um, the other thing you mentioned was the insure shakes. I think that, I know people drink those out here for ultra races. It's a quick way to get calories in. Do you use any other liquid calories like tailwind or scratch or anything like in a water bottle, like as you're going? No. And I don't do the protein shakes on trail. That's a new thing that I do in part my real life. Mm. Um, I don't like, I've tried the noon, the little things that you put in your water. I think they have like an effervescentness to them. And I don't, I have tried them a few times and it doesn't feel well on my stomach because of like. I think the effervescence makes my stomach a little upset to be bouncing and, you know, going down a trail with that. Um, I typically just drink plain water. Um, sometimes I will do, I'll try to do like Gatorade when I get to the trailhead and stuff. I, especially this past summer, I had, I had to try and be more cognizant of that because I needed to make sure I was getting in the ele electrolytes, but I was trying to, I typically rely more on like the cliff blocks for electrolyte supplement or the, the gummies. I try to find ones that have that because I don't like to add anything to my water. Yeah. Well, it it speaks to like everybody's preference in terms of what they can tolerate, what they prefer, what they enjoy. Um, I know personally, 
Mike has supplied me with many a orange soda at the end of a long training run this summer in the Canyon. And oh man, I'll tell you what, like I'm pretty much addicted to the orange sodas now. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> I don't drink them in my normal life, but man, you're out there after, you know, hours and hours and oh, there's nothing better. <laughs> I got really into, I have to go after my hikes. I'd always go to McDonald's and get a medium fry and Sprite. Yep. You best thing ever. Yeah, you just get into this kind of like tradition thing. It's like, I just did this thing and here's my reward. And and it just, oh man, it tastes so good or goes down so easily. So yeah, love it. Um, well, that's that's all useful information. And uh, I think um, just, yeah, hearing kind of like the mindset behind uh, how you get those calories in is, is useful for, for people as well as they might be getting out there and, and trying to figure this whole thing out. Because nutrition, again, as I said, highly personal. Um, you kind of have to experiment. And if you're an actual ultra racer and you're listening to this, or you're, you're going to do some major hike, always do these things in training before you try to do the thing that you're really setting your goal towards, because you don't want to mess around on race day or, you know, goal day or whatever it is that you're, you're doing out there. Um, it's always good to experiment while you're training, figure out what works for you. So that's great information about all the nutrition. I think that's going to be really helpful for people as they kind of get out into their own adventures and they start experimenting and trying to figure out what works for them. Because uh, it is an experiment and everybody seems to have a slightly different take on, you know, the types of nutrition they need and, and the mixtures and, and liquid versus solid and all that. So that's great. Uh, the other thing that we want to talk about is some of the physical gear that you use um, while you're out hiking. Uh, whether that's, you know, boots, socks, you know, backpacks, um, different brands that you've found uh, work well for you, especially things like cold weather gear. It is winter in New Hampshire right now. So we're always interested to hear about that kind of thing and how that changes for you season to season. So what can you tell us about some of those items? So um, I carry a Hyperlite Mountain Gear 2400 liter or 2400 Southwest backpack. And it's a 40 liter pack. And honestly, I don't need that big of a backpack, but it weighs like a little over a pound and I don't care that I don't need that big of a pack because of how much it weighs. And I refuse to keep swapping out packs every couple of days or whatever. So I just stick with the same one and it works really well. I love it. I have no issues with it and I've had it for about two years. So that's what I carry for a pack. And it does kind of, you can make it small enough that it's not bulky or weird on your back or anything like that. Cause it's, you know, kind of more of an overnight pack. Um, but I found that I really like it and I don't swap it out. I don't swap to a new pack in the winter because it fits all my winter gear. I actually wrote a post that's on the website that I write for now, Backpacking Roots, that has my clothing and gear. There's two separate posts. So I don't know if you want to link to them in the show notes. It might be good because it does actually give an outline with links to everything that I carry. Perfect. Um, my favorite brands, I like the Hyperlite Mountain Gear Pack. I really like Garmin. I like Solomon's for shoes, and that's all I wear. I have two different kinds of shoes I wear in the winter and the summer. The summer ones, um, gosh, I don't remember which model it is off the top of my head, but they're, I think, $108 ones. They're not very expensive. Solomon Trail Runners. And for my winter ones, I also wear Trail Runners, which is something that not a lot of people do because of the snow but I have real issues with my feet. So I've found that I need to stick with more of a shoe and not a boot. So I don't like it to go above my ankle because it causes that restriction um, on your Achilles. And it gives me really bad plantar fasciitis, which is what I have um, chronically in both feet. So my Solomon winters, they're a little different because they are waterproof. The, the ones I wear in summer are not. Um, and the winter ones are just a little bit more rugged, not super rugged, but I've had no issues with them. I don't tend to get very cold. So I luckily have not had any issues with my feet freezing or anything like that, wearing just trail runners. I'll wear gaiters to cover uh, the boots if I'm going to be wearing snowshoes to kind of help with making sure my feet don't get wet. But I would say uh, my favorite pieces of gear that I carry, my pack, my shoes, and I found a new pair of leggings that I absolutely love. And they're expensive, but I love them and they don't cause chafing, which is something that I deal with, especially as a woman. 
Um, and they're the Lululemon Fast and Free, I believe, is the style. And I have them in leggings and in shorts and in capris because I absolutely love them. And they dry really well, too, which is huge because I'm a huge sweater. So, yeah, I absolutely love them. They have pockets on the side for your for your phone. They breathe really well. They're, they dry really fast. They don't cause me to have chafing and they're the only ones that haven't had, haven't had that issue with, which is awesome because chafing's horrible. Socks I wear, smart wools. Um, they're actually, I think the men's model, they're ankle length. I've tried the Injinji toe socks. I loved them for years. And the only reason I switched is because I went on a three night backpack or two night backpacking trip and I got the worst blisters. And I don't know if it was because my feet were wet, like the whole time, but that after that, I stopped wearing the Injinjis, but for years I've worn them because I love them. I loved them until that hike. The only thing that's kind of annoying too about them is when your toes are all in those little slots and they're all wet, pulling them off is kind of gross. Um, but yeah, I do love Injinji. I, I don't have any other qualms with them. Smart wool is my brand though. I think for Socks, that's what I wear. I have smart wool shirts that I wear um, in wintertime. And then smart wool winter leggings that I'll, I'll wear if it's really a little bit chillier. The 250, I think, is the, I don't know if that's the model or the type, but that's the, the ones that I wear, the 250s. I also have le- uh, leggings that I wear in winter that are thicker, that are EMS ones that I absolutely love. And I think they're the Ascent because they're a little bit thicker. But um, tops, I'm very not picky because I hike in a sports bra typically. So uh, I have Under Armour sports bras that I got now that I've had breast surgery that are much more, they're like a real bra more, but they're also a sports bra. So there's more structure to them than what I used to wear. And I love them. So I have four of those. And for tops though, I do have just some tank tops that are kind of that wicking material, but they're not anything fancy. Smart wool is a good brand. It has, it's a merino wool cotton blend. And I have found that the products are thinner and warmer than other products. Like I have a beanie hat made out of smart wool and, and socks and they're just warmer. And even the smart wool, something about the merino wool, it's very wicking. So it, it draws the moisture out. So for hiking, probably like half of my socks are probably smart wool. Then they got the big giant ones to just wear when you're just around the house, like in the winter. So they do have a lot of great products and they're lightweight and, and wicking. So they're, I like those as well. The Injinji, I do like those. I wear those a lot. I have a new pair that's a it's a hiking combo. It's an Injinji sock with a hiking outer sock, which has been pretty cool. So it's a double line sock for heavier backpacks. I found that it's be pretty pretty nice combination as well. Yeah, the other two pieces of gear that I forgot to mention would be the Arc'teryx um, jackets that I carry that I actually dropped a lot of money on um, because I love them and they're so worth it because of the lightweightness, um, because of the whole ounce junky piece. Like I, I wanted the most light I could find, but also warm because New England, it's not warm. I mean, you got to be smart about it in the winter. So I got one of their puppies and then I also got an outer Jake, like a, a windbreaking layer. And I love both of them. And I hope that I can keep them forever because of how much I spent on them. But they're in that I've linked everything is linked in those articles. So it might be beneficial for people to know if they want to know exacts. That's kind of where everything's outlined. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely add all that stuff into the show notes. I think that'll be really helpful. Because uh, again, like sort of like nutrition, um, you know, you find out what brands work for you gear wise, clothing wise. And yeah, like I might be able to wear something and it doesn't chafe me, but someone else might wear it and it's terrible chafing for them. And it all based on our body shape and size and everything else. I mean, it just different products work for different people. So it is a little bit of an experiment there as well. And again, a great time to experiment is when you're training for things <laughs> before your goal, um, because you don't want to, you know, introduce that random piece of uh, nutrition or gear the day of your big event or whatever it is, and then find out, wow, this is not working for me at all. And I will say unequivocally, I have done that many times in my life and always pretty much regretted it. So <laughs> word to the wise. That's great. Well, thanks a lot for um, detailing all that. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look for that all in the show notes. 
we just want to thank you again for taking the time out, um, you know, throughout this whole process. This is, I believe, going to be our last uh, recorded podcast, and we are then going to move in a couple of weeks to a live Zoom session. Uh, that's going to be on January 10th, and we're going to be publishing that Facebook event coming up soon for that, uh, a few days before that um, actual uh, event. It's on. A, it's going to be on a Sunday afternoon. So we'll have uh, the ability to have people from the East Coast join at a, a reasonable time as well, since we're all based out here on the West Coast. Uh, we're really excited about that, you know, to have, have some people come in and, and hopefully be able to ask you live questions and all of that. But yeah, just uh, again, it's been great throughout this process, finding out more about you, what you've been going through, and then getting into some of the nuts and bolts here today has been really helpful. So uh, on behalf of my co-hosts, uh, Mike and Jessica, I just want, we all want to thank you, Rebecca, and we'll look forward to talking to you live in a few weeks. And in the meantime, we'll all hope to see you out there on the trail. So thanks again, everybody. Bye-bye.